2: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to be with you for another episode. This is the continuation of the Division Capsule Series, but the first of the Western Conference ones, which is exciting because the West is very interesting this year, and particularly the Northwest Division. Five teams that are incredibly capable, that had a lot of turnover, and there's a lot to talk about. I decided to reprise the group from last year, which I had so much fun with, of David Locke, Radio Voice of the Utah Jazz, one of the most knowledgeable people about basketball that I know, and the godfather of the Locked On Podcast Network, and Adam Morris, who writes for Denver Stiffs, now on Calculus, and hosts Locked On Nuggets, two of them bounce off each other, bounce off me, of course. And go in a lot of different directions. Really fun conversation. This is brought to you by two sponsors. One is a new sponsor that I'm really pleased to have tried out for the first time myself recently, Bombfell. It's a clothing company. And so you can try it out. You go to bombfell.com slash real GM, you get $25 off your first purchase. And our friends at FanDuel, you go to FanDuel.com and then you click the join now button and you tell them you came from RealGM and you get an entry in a free $10,000 contest. And it's, it's really cool. I'm actually doing Daily Fantasy for the first time in my life. Pretty excited about that. This conversation runs about an hour, 10, and we spend more of the time on the off-season review than regular season preview, but as you could guess, we intersperse the two a lot. So it doesn't have timestamps because we go through so many different things basically at the same time that I think you'll really enjoy it. One of my favorite podcasts to do each year, and I, I enjoy talking with them so much.
1: Thank you guys so much for coming on. Our pleasure. Well, let me speak for myself. Adam, is it your pleasure?
0: <laughs> yeah, speak for yourself, please, David. No, it is it is my pleasure as well.
1: Happy to Wouldn't it be great, to- it be great if somebody opened a podcast with like, "You know what? I don't actually want to be here, but I felt obligated
2: and I have to do it." <laughs> that would be that would be <laughs> fun. But That's not a part of our business yet, thankfully, and I do heartily enjoy doing this, especially with the two of you. We're a little bit tighter on time, so I'll kind of keep this zipping a little bit. And where I like to start these, both of you were a part of the Northwest podcast last year, is a basic question, but one that I think is a little bit more straightforward in this division this year, which is which teams got better and which teams got worse? Adam, does it make
1: you nervous that I actually just went
2: on a long bike ride
1: and listened to last year's version to hear all the things things that somebody else said that weren't right so I could bring them back up does oh that, no is it, does that worry you
0: it, it does worry me quite a bit <laughs> I think only I got one, a lot wrong last there's year there's only dude.
1: one guy that we disagreed on that where I could really be incredibly boastful about but I wouldn't want to do that that'd be really obnoxious who um, is it I want to know oh uh, you were in love with Nurkic <laughs>
2: hey, he was right he was right <laughs>
1: yeah
2: <laughs> just had a different team
0: oh.
1: So, uh, you know, I think the answer to your question, unfortunately, on who got better and who didn't is everybody every, who got better, everybody but the Jazz, right? Well, I, I think mean, the that- Blazers
2: got worse. So the Blazers got better since last time we did this podcast, but over the summer, I think they got worse. And an underrated part of this is that their guard depth is a big issue because CJ and Dame are incredible, both really good players, but Alan Crabb was number three minutes played, and they lost him for a guy that they used the stretch provision on and didn't use any of the draft picks on it. So I don't think they're a lot worse, and I think that with Nurkic, you know, you could argue that they'll be better overall than they were last year, but in terms of talent from june 30th to now i think they're worse
1: crab was also their third best offensive player according to my pack rating so i would agree with you on that so uh, let me answer the question this way and i you're right on portland what i was gonna say was everybody got better but the jazz but i'm not convinced that any of them got as much better as everyone thinks
0: oh that's an interesting take I don't know if I agree with it though, because I do think that, that Denver and Minnesota I actually no, I think I disagree with it across the board. I think all the teams are actually much more dynamic and interesting. It might take some time because anytime you add the caliber of new pieces that Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Denver has added, I think there's a a, a learning curve. But I think they're all signific I think those three teams are significantly better.
1: All right, let me explain myself. I think they're better. We'll start with the Minnesota love affair that's going on, okay? Yeah, yeah. And I like—I mean, I think they had an unbelievable off season. Jimmy Butler is just terrific. I mean, right? I mean, I'm not, but start to look like they have no floor spacing, right? All oh, Jeff Teague last year wasn't good really wasn't particularly good and when you start to look at it even more the amount of possessions that everyone's using here someone's getting really left out it might be Andrew Wiggins which is not going to make him very happy it might be Jeff Teague and the book on him for years has been that it, you know he can float in and out of engagement I just think that's going to be a tricky they're they're loaded with talent and I think they're terrific, and actually, I guess I was surprised. I think Vegas brought them in at 48, and I thought that was a little lower than I would have thought they were from the way everybody was talking. But, but I, I don't know. I, I just that's that's my comment there. And as I just think there's, I don't know. You start walking through how many possessions ever. You know, Carl Anthony Towns uses 20 scoring opportunities a game, either a shot or a trip to the free throw line. Andrew Wiggins 22, Butler 20, Teague 18. Gorgie's <laughs> not quiet angel out there either. I mean, he's using nine, ten, eleven. And so when you start playing around with with all of that that's a lot that that's the one thing and then Denver uh I I I'll ha- I'll leave my Denver quiver in my in my archery but- <laughs>
2: Well, so what I'll say on the Minnesota thing is I agree with you on the criticism that Minnesota is going to be less than the sum of their parts because I don't think that they fit together offensively. And I'm actually not sure that they fit together defensively, too, if they very well could. It's just going to be executing it because what they want to do is so... It's not different from a scheme perspective, but it's just different from a personnel perspective. I mean, having Jimmy guard the other team's best offensive wing and then having Wiggins guard the number two, you know, that'll be a little bit different. Teague's role is going to shift. And then how they use Taj Gibson. But the problem that they have is that I just, as you said, in terms of using possessions, I don't see how they fit together because what these guys want to do occupies a lot of the same space and it occupies a lot of the same kind of roles in the offense. So it could work. And they don't really have low usage guys to fit in with everything else. It's not like you, oh, you want to try a different wing? You want to stagger Wiggins and Butler? You're throwing in Jamal Crawford. He's not exactly right. a low usage guy either. And I that's Nate has talked about this on Dunked On too. Like we're 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 kind of a hive mind on this point. But that there isn't there aren't really that many other things they can do at this point. So it's going to be are they just so much more talented than their opponents on a game to game basis?
0: I agree with both your guys' points, and I think especially with with what Danny said in that they're not gonna be as good, you know, as the sum of their parts. There is a lot of overlap there. But I just I actually do think they're gonna be pretty good defensively. I think there's a lot of defensive upside here, and obviously that's gonna be a Tibbs emphasis. I don't think they're gonna be very fun to watch, but offensively you do have enough, you know, good isolation players that I think they can be this clunky, you know, somewhat slow paced team or really slow paced team that that takes away a lot of transition opportunities the other way and then just isolates and grinds teams to death, which I think they're actually set up for that. So I don't think I am with all of you guys that I think they're probably going to come into the season overrated uh, um, to a degree, but I just think there's when we need to talk about last year, they weren't a very good team last year. They yeah. are a very good team this year. So, relative to where they were and where they are now, I think it's a huge leap, even though this isn't the type of roster you would construct from scratch if you were building one. But I just still think they're going to be very, very tough out every night.
1: He's gotten a pass on this so far in his career, and that might be fine. But Carl Anthony Towns was terrible defensively last year. He
0: was.
2: And and I thought he was going to be a lot better. He had some really nice stretches next to Kevin Garnett the year before, but that's also playing next to Kevin Garnett. And so it's very possible that that skewed it but you know maybe playing with Taj if they do that a little bit more that'll help him again in the same way
0: I think Towns and Jokic are in the same boat in this regard and that year two they took over so much of the offensive load, and, and it was such a not not really an adjustment, but I, I just don't think they were quite ready to be two way players. And you see this a lot with players. I think Jokic is going to be a good defender, and I think Towns will be a good defender. I just think they almost had to pick one side of the court last year, and this year it'll it'll slowly start to become more balanced. That's my prediction for those two.
1: Both of them had closeouts that James Harden admired.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, and Harden's another example of this, and so is Russell Westbrook. I mean, Westbrook was, he was an all-conference defensive player at UCLA, and then partially due to his just insane offensive load, and partially because he just doesn't care as much about it anymore, his defensive ability has waned. I think it is true that you just can't really do both, and especially when you're young and you're figuring stuff out, or when you get older, like LeBron. I mean, LeBron's not bringing it on both ends every night until the end of the playoffs.
1: This is going to be a theme of this hour conversation about the Northwest Division because I think this is one of the most interesting things for geeky basketball people like us. So I'm going to ask this about every team because I want you guys to know. So last year, Minnesota was 10th in the league offensively. What do you think they are this year?
0: We're talking about Minnesota here? Yeah. Is it- Man, I'm going to I'm going to say well behind that, because I do think it's going to be a lot more isolation basketball. So I'm going to go I'm going to go 17, 18, somewhere in that range.
2: I I think it'll be about the same, maybe a little worse, like 11th or 12th. All right. So the defense was 26th
1: last year.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna go way higher this year. I, th- I I think it'll be a top ten defense, and that and oh, and that's right. where I think, I think it's that's where I, that's think, where it's I think it's gonna, f- gonna th- it's gonna flip so much. Oh, There's a lot of good defender good defensive upside here. Plus, they defended a lot better in the second half of the season than the first half of the season last year. I just think these te- again, I think these things take time, especially for young teams.
2: Sell me on this. So uh, you got you really going to sell me that they're top. <laughs> I can I can sell you on part of it. Just think about the fact that Andrew Wiggins isn't going to have to guard the other team's best perimeter scorer anymore. I mean, sliding him to the number two threat is a huge benefit for them. And playing if they're going to start Taj, which I think they will, if they're going to start Taj. Then they have another capable defender. I love Rubio. I think Rubio is a, is a great defensive player, but point guard defense is less important than almost every other position. I think they upgraded significantly at two spots, and that has spillover benefits for the other two. I love top. Every play, you know, so
1: uh, I'll buy in on the the value of Taj. But
2: I will say though that I'm lower than Adam. I think they're I'm I feel comfortable in- that they're going to be top half. I'm not sure they're going to be top ten.
1: I want to point out one thing: they did not get better as the year went on last year. That's actually what concerns me the most about them. Is they had a good defensive month in November, regressed in December, a good month in January, and got worse in February to at a one eleven point one, were one ten in March, mm-hmm. and one sixteen in April.
0: I had this I had wrong it. in my notes then. I so, do think, going back to the point about the roster, though, just think about this two through five. Wiggins, Butler, Taj, and Towns, that's a lot of length and a lot of mobility there. And that's why I think, I mean, I just think that that foursome is going to be pretty, can be pretty dynamic defensively.
2: Well, and Teague's been a part of some good defenses. He wasn't a linchpin in it, but, I mean, right. uh, the Atlanta team he was on had the best defense in the league the second half of his final year there. Yeah, I think
1: that's a... Um... Uh, I think Atlanta. What Darvin Ham's done with that defense there is one of the most untalked about stories in the league. So. And
2: that's the part of the reason why I think Atlanta is going to be going to win more games than people think, because I think they're still going to shut people down. But this isn't the Southeast Division podcast, so uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for another. But uh, so, 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 so we go fifteenth offensively
1: between the two of you guys, and can we go? T- Tenth defensively, is that what you I want? Think, I think
0: I said like tenth, and he said fifteenth. So we can go like thirteenth or twelfth.
1: Sure. All right. Okay. Fifteen and thirteen. All right. Sounds good. You'll see. Um, uh, this will. Um, this is my quiver. This is.
2: <laughs> I like. I, I, I totally. I, be, you, I firmly way. believe Only that David's you. gonna <laughs> hold this stuff and then and then shame us for it. I, I'm, I'm, and
0: I'm okay with that. I have I, I to
2: I'm a firm believer in accountability, so that's that's not a problem at all. I don't think that. Yeah. So with the who got better, who got worse, I think we answered that pretty well. For the next one, we'll start with Adam, which is it can be anything—a move like a draft pick, a trade, a signing—that stood out to you for whatever reason. I mean, there was a lot that went on with this with this division in terms of the offseason
0: i mean i think the one that stood out is the one that stood out across the league which was of course paul george going to oklahoma city that's such a i didn't see it on my radar i know some people did i didn't see it on the radar and you know the addition of of uh, patrick patterson there i think that team now becomes so interesting to me it's a huge pivot and that's why i think they might take a little bit of adjustment period but to me that was a move i didn't see coming and it changes that team completely
1: well, and particularly because the Patrick Patterson, Paul George combination replaces two positions that were not good. Was, yeah. Back to the Pau Gasol replacing Kwame Brown thing. <laughs> right, when right, Pau right. Gasol got traded from Memphis to L.A., it wasn't that he Paul Gasol was so great. It's, he was replacing Kwame Brown. So Patrick Patterson is replacing Sabonis, who wasn't good last year. And Paul George is replacing a second scorer that simply wasn't on their roster.
0: And think about Andre Roberson, who's such a great player, but is hard to hide offensively because he can't shoot. Now he's the only, you know, non-shooter other than Steven Adams, who I think still has his own gravity. It's not I don't think Andre Roberson kills you now if you're starting lineup with the spacing because you already have uh, enough spacing on the floor. So I, I just think defensively, I like this team. Offensively, I like the team. I think it, it, a lot of it depends, of course, on how Westbrook's going to play. I don't think he can play remotely close to how he did last year, and and, and the team. Will, I don't think the team will be as effective. But I think he can go back to a little bit more how he was when he played alongside KD, and this team is just going to have – they're going to be a headache to guard every single night in the regular season.
1: This is esoteric crap and neat, and the three of us generally believe in numbers and truth and that kind of stuff, but I know the Westbrook story was awesome last year, but that was a really dysfunctional situation. That that wasn't basketball.
2: It seemed to me like it was a sideshow. I disagree with that. I think that what Billy Donovan did, and he deserves credit for this, was he he built a team to use that extreme. Like, you look at what they did in crunch time. They basically had all low-usage high-defense guys and Russell Westbrook because they knew he was going to shoot the ball or have a pass that was an assist every time so they went with guys like Robertson. they went with you know the, with steven adams and it actually i don't think it's going to work nearly as well this year and that's part of the reason why i'm a little bit lower on the thunder than some people are because i think they overperformed relative to their talent level last year but it was a sideshow but i think it was kind of a it was it was a well-planned sideshow in that way and i give billy donovan credit for that
1: you ran i will or i would i will hold that it. it was dysfunctional that they ran an entire team for the purpose of All right, right. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see whether or not there's a cultural damage that was done. I'll just leave- a,
0: that what's interesting about that is because I always thought last year reminded me of Kobe's 2005 through 7 stretch, where it wasn't like they were trying to win games as much as they were trying to win games behind Kobe shooting every time. And that lingered on when, when Pau Gasol arrived and the team changed. Kobe changed too, but not he didn't change back to how he was alongside Shaq. It was kind of like... You know, he lowered his usage a little bit, but he was still this guy that was so focused on getting shots up. And I wonder what Westbrook's going to be like. I have a feeling that you're right. Some of this will linger with him, and you know, we'll still kind of have some of these nights where Westbrook's taking all these shots and all these possessions, and his usage is through the roof. Despite where this year having so many other players that I think, or especially Paul George, that can take on that load. So I do think there'll be some lingering left over.
2: Yeah, I, I'm I'm concerned about it, especially considering Paul George. You know, he has a, a well earned rep for wanting to get his, and I don't blame him for that. When you're an elite player, you want to have that mentality. But there was that issue in the Cleveland series where he wanted the shot at the end of the game, even though C.J. Miles was wide open, he happened to miss. But that sort of thing, I think that could be an issue. But on the Paul George front, having Andre Roberson out there could really help him defensively because now Paul George doesn't have to guard the other team's best scorer all the time. Roberson can get the James Hardens of the world, and Paul George is suffocating at the, at the same point. So I think that could work really well for them, particularly as a regular season exercise in the playoffs. Maybe you want to structure it differently, but Paul George can work less on defense, and then whether he gets the ball or not, he'll have more juice for offense.
1: Uh, Andre Robertson, Paul George defensively, is why this team could be great. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's the story. It's not... Russell Westbrook, Paul George together. I mean, I, I guess some of it could be if they, uh similar situation to what I think they have in Houston, but they were so bad when Westbrook was on the floor. So that if, if George can make them good when Westbrook's off the floor, that would be storyline too. But to me, the story of this team is what they could be defensively with with Stephen Adams. I don't with Jeremy Grant, not Patrick Patterson, with Robertson, with Paul George. Holy smokes! I mean,
0: and Westbrook. You know, I, he's always been a good shoot shooter. the gap. Sorry, he's always been that, that good ship shoot the gap guy. But I think now he's going to be guarding probably the third worst you know perimeter player on the team. He can kind of afford to gamble a little bit more on some nights with teams that have a weak spot on the perimeter. So that yeah. might even play in their factor as well.
1: I watched all-star players regularly wilt against Andre Robertson.
2: (laughs) He's a monster. Well, and something else that I love about Robertson is that he's a great defensive rebounder and for his size and for that. And so if you're playing him as a three and you have Steven Adams out there, I think you're going to get a lot of defensive rebounds and that can work well.
1: This is going to be a second point that I want to bring up today, along with my little ratings thing. This is my second bow in the quiver. Quit whatever. I don't know my analogy. It sucks. Uh, (laughs) Raymond Felton, average, below average. For a, backup. for a backup? Yeah, I was above average last year, and then he wasn't good. So I I, I used to love Ra- – I was big on the Raymond Felton backup thing until actually it kind of looked into it a little bit. So I, would actually, I was going below average at this point.
2: I think he's an <laughs> average backup but he's going to be so much better than what they had last year because last year they just had garbage. Yeah, but
1: he was he was really bad last year. Let's make sure we have... Let's, was he my really?
2: Part. I didn't think of him that way, but I don't doubt it. You you probably are more aware than I am. I, I, There's three guys that I went and looked up for this podcast because I was going
1: to compliment all three of them as big pickups, and all three of them were far less good than I thought last year, by the way. But Raymond Felton last year was 43% from the field, 32% from three, and went to the free throw line 4.5% of his possessions. So mm-hmm. he is now a spot up shooter that's bad. Alex Abrines is average. Doug McDermott is still below average offensively and he's not good defensively. Jeremy Grant I love defensively but is probably still below average offensively easily. Ennis Cantor is exactly who Ennis Canter has always been and I think has value. But that that bench is pretty shallow, right? You talked about Portland's bench being really shallow, right?
0: Yeah, I think that'll be a theme with a lot of these teams cuz there's so much so much new on the roster that that the second units on all of them are big question marks. But I'm with you. I think the backcourt in this one is not is going to be a problem. Fortunately, Westbrook likes to play and, and can handle playing heavy minutes.
1: To Danny's point of a moment ago, the other thing the reason why I'm bullish on the th- more bullish on the Thunder maybe than I am the Nuggets and Minnesota for their improvement. Is Sabonis was terrible, Samaji Christian was terrible, Norris Cole in his limited time was not very good, Victor Lodipo frankly wasn't very good. So they are repla- the places that they've replaced people fit into the Pau Gasol Kwame Brown thing. And it's actually, to me, a little bit the opposite of Denver, where as much as I like Paul Millsap, I really like Danilo Gallinari. And I think they lost a significant piece in Danilo Gallinari and replaced him with a really good piece in Paul Millsap. But the Thunder replaced pieces that were completely ineffective with with better players.
0: I'm I'm a little bit mixed on, on Gallo. He's a he is a phenomenal player. He grades out incredibly well by every advanced metric, and he was a nice compliment. The thing that the Nuggets are going to miss the most this season, from what they had last season, was the Wilson Chandler Gallinari Jokic front court, which was three players that all can put the ball on the floor, pass shoot. Um, and they all had a the very few teams could match up with them height wise. So one of them always had a, a, a mismatch. They won't have that this year. I don't think, you know, Millsap obviously is more of a traditional power forward. So he's not going to be able to take, you know, guys out on the perimeter. So or at least not as much as Gallo was. So I do think they're missing that. But I just, you know, Gallinari, I thought was I think he was a little bit replaceable just from the character of the of the team where it's going in terms of they really like this high-motion, high-passing offense in the in the half court where everybody's touching it and Jokic is kind of the quarterback. Gallo was a little bit more of the – he would hold the ball a little bit more, play a little bit more isolation. He liked the offense to run through him. And uh, I, there was games last year, including the Golden State game, where Gallinari didn't play. There was long stretches where he didn't play. And the Nuggets looked just fine without him. So I think while he's a phenomenal player and certainly a huge loss – I actually think that other elements that were a little bit more hidden on the Nuggets offense are going to take light, primarily players like Gary Harris and, uh, you know, even Wilson Chandler, who I think can play make a little bit. Will Barton, I think those guys will fill much of the void that that Gallo is leaving behind.
1: Gallo went to the free throw line 17% of his possessions he used last year. It's such a valuable thing to be able to do. I think it'll be missed really significantly.
2: Yeah, I'm wondering how it's going to work out for them. But my big thing with Denver, and we'll talk about this later in the season preview part, is that the fundamental change in their defense is going to be interesting. Because can, can they, with a couple of guys, really boost that up? I mean, they're never going to be world beaters, but how close can they get there? Because offensively, you know, yeah, losing Gallo hurts. But they, I think they have more room to gain on the other side. So it kind of does tie in, David, with what you're saying, but in a different way. Before we move on, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about the brand new sponsor of Real GM, Bombfell, a product that I've just used for the first time and really, really enjoyed it. And so what it is, is it's an easier way for men to get better clothes. And you don't pay any money when you sign up because there are no fees to work with them. You only pay for the clothes you keep. So the way it works, and I just went through this myself, is you sign up and then you set up your order. You set up what you're looking for. So that can be types of clothing, price range. And then they match you one to one with a with a stylist and you can give them as much information as you want or you can give them as little information as you want. It can be as detailed as, you know, like things about your measurements or what kind of style you have, what colors you like, everything like that. And then the stylist's challenge is to find things that work for you. And then you get a window of time before the stuff gets sent to go through and see if that's really what you're looking for, give feedback, everything like that. And then you actually get the clothes themselves. I actually got my clothes earlier today, was very impressed, got a polo shirt, got a nice dress shirt and a set of pants and everything looked good. The colors were nice. It fit well. And the other great part about it, again, you only pay for the stuff you like. So if there's something that when you receive it, that you don't like it, you can either return it or you can exchange it. And it's an incredibly useful, friendly system that, you know, if something's not perfect, they want you to be incredibly happy with it. So you can do that through their stuff. And it's incredibly intuitive. The feedback is great. And the fact that you have time both in the, in the ordering process and then after it to evaluate it, to give candid feedback because they want you to be happy. They want you to keep coming back. Is, is really wonderful. And so the way that you can check it out is you go to bombfell.com slash real GM, bombfel com slash real GM. And not only is that a way of getting in there and telling them it came from us, but you also get $25 off your first purchase. So again, that's bombfel com slash real GM. You get $25 off your first purchase. And it's, it's a really cool product. I ended up with things that I'm going to wear. You'll probably see them on the Twitter NBA show. And I'm thrilled with the way they look. And it's a great way to get different ideas, whatever your personal style is, whatever your way of doing it. It's just a way of getting new ideas and having direct interaction with somebody who is looking for your best interest at heart and coming at it from a different perspective. So check it out. Bombfell, open and close. The other, So I don't think we need to spend much time on the Jimmy Butler trade. We all think it was a heist. But what I wanted to talk about actually more in David's field is I was very impressed with the way that Utah reacted to Gordon Hayward's departure by getting guys who kind of fell through the cracks in the market and not overpaying for them either in years or in dollars because they got those partial or non-guarantees for the second year.
1: You know, that's... uh kind of this detailed bottom level low, you know, deep into the weeds thing, but I think it's it's a huge point. It's one that I would say from a fan base standpoint, like if you're ever looking for signs, like that, you know, you you want the signs you always want from your fan. Oh, they really they're committed to winning. And so they you know, they spend the big money. That's what every fan really wants. What I would say I want out of my front office is a sign that you have vision and you're forward thinking. And when you sign Cephalosha, Udo, and Jarebko, all to kind and we'll see if any of them, you know, turn out to be any good this year – to contracts in which have a team option for the second year, that's a big deal. I mean, that's a – those are deals. And to the depth conversation that we're having – and maybe I'm overplaying them because I think they're – because they're on the Jazz – but what I think so interesting here about this depth conversation is here's Utah, who's other than Gobert, which should be talked about as an elite star. Then they have, in my opinion, pretty interesting depth in a lot. They have five guards. They have... The ability to play big, the ability to play small, the ability to play five out, the ability to play you know, one in four out. They have so many different pieces. Their backup center matches defensively to their starting center. So they'll always be they have 48 minutes of defense, which I don't think most teams have. And they actually have it twice with favors and Udo. And so I look at them as this interesting team that has this great depth. But I don't have any idea what the value of depth is. It's kind of why I brought up what I brought up about Oklahoma City and where I think Denver's a little shallow and Portland's a little shallow and these similar teams – is, is there really a value to the fact that the Jazz should have 48 minutes of average or above-average players at every position?
0: That question, I think, comes completely down to with the faith you have in the coach to understand the rotation and manage the We're rotation. We're all good,
1: Utah! <laughs> woo <Woo-hoo! laughs>
0: Go, Jazz! <laughs> and that's what I think it is for them, because I, I love the Jazz. I'm actually very high on the Jazz. We're going to get to rankings, I know, here before too long, but I, I have them... Uh, you know, in the playoffs and ahead of Portland very clearly and and in the kind of the same category as Denver. I just like their defensive upside. Like you said, they can throw out so many different types of looks that can match up with just about every type of roster. So I think it it really comes down to we saw this with Denver last year. When you have that versatile versatility, you have to have everyone buying in and a coach that knows how to employ it. And, and and still keep everybody happy. But I don't think that'll be a problem in Utah. I, I think it, it's going to be okay. I like this team.
2: Yeah, I think what the other th- element of depth that's very important in a loaded Western Conference is that it makes you able to withstand injury. Because inevitably, like all all of us have done this covering the league and all the teams that we kind of focus on, quote unquote, is that certain teams get derailed by that and certain teams do not. And I think that Depending on how this shakes out, that might not be enough to, like, get Utah in or keep them out or anything like that. But if, let's say, if Portland loses Dame or CJ for 10 games, like, those 10 games are going to be really rough for them. Whereas if Utah loses any one of their guys, maybe other than Rudy, but I even think they could survive right. that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. They could do it. But some of that is also just the severity of the strengths. It's the same reason why I'm a little bit lower on the Clippers this year. Going back to the Gallo point, like if you have not only do you have when you have injury-prone players, but you have a team that really can't withstand that sort of stuff. So I think the Jazz can do well with that, and I think that's a big concern for Minnesota as well because they they don't really have guys who can replace the good players that they have.
0: I also think Ricky Rubio is better than people think and and even better offensively than people think obviously everybody knows about the the, you know his shooting and his finishing at the rim but i'm curious to see what now what he does with this team i actually think obviously i think everybody knows they're going to be a good defensive team if healthy but the question marks are on the offensive end i i'm just a little bit more high on their uh, on on how they're going to perform on the offensive end that'll that'll make them you know a playoff caliber
1: team Uh, all right so this gets to a little bit of where i was going with so like if we went back to Oklahoma City for a second just cuz I'm I'm going to get there and then we'll do it with Denver. Th- this is what I think so fascinating. So what do you think Oklahoma City's rank is offensively and what do you think their rank is defensively?
0: Where were they at last year? Do you have that written down off the top of your head?
1: 7th offensively and 10th
2: defensively. So I think they're going to be top 5 defensively, maybe even top 3 depending on how they structure and who stays healthy. Offensively, I think they'll be about the same and maybe maybe a little bit better because if the but I'd be but probably probably similar just because there are some really good offenses now
0: i'm gonna say the same defensively i think they can be a top five six seven defense and then offensively i, I think they take a little bit of a step back but but not much i mean if they were 17th last year maybe 20th this year
1: well i think oklahoma city's gonna be better offensively uh because they got rid of the jump from Ola Depot to paul george is significant so uh and russell westbrook wasn't very efficient last year so i Every possession he gives up is actually a bonus. So I, I I'm, I'm actually think they're going to be much. I think they're going to be much better offensively. Denver. I,
0: go ahead. I got that. I sorry, I got that wrong. I thought we were I thought we were going the other way. Talking about Oklahoma City, then yes, I agree. I think they're going to be much better defensively. Certainly one of the top teams, if not top two or three. And then offensively, I would, I would say they're going to improve quite a bit as well. Probably five spots or so, if if not more. I, I thought you were talking about Utah there.
1: Were you on Oklahoma City on that conversation?
2: Debating yeah. on the I think their offense, actually, now that I'm really thinking about the personnel shift, I think it'll be a little bit better. I just wonder about how many of their guys outperformed relative to their expectations last year, but their personnel is way better, so they'll be better than they were.
0: The spacing alone, I think, makes them so much better.
2: Let's do Denver. Okay. So Denver was fifth
1: offensively, 29th defensively.
0: I'll go first on this one. I think they're going to be the same offensively, a top five team, probably four or five defensively, I think they can get all the way up to
1: 20th.
2: Yeah, that's about what I see too.
1: Okay, so here's where – this is why I brought this up. So we have Minnesota hovering at about 15-13, right? So average of both. We actually – this is where why I think Oklahoma City's so much better. I think Oklahoma City is the best of all these teams we're talking about. We have them at 13 and 5th. We have Denver at 5th offensively and 20th defensively. What do we have for the Jazz? So last year Utah was 12th offensively, 3rd defensively.
0: I kind of think defensively it's going to be in that same category of like top six – and then that's who I was talking about the first time around. And then offensively, I don't think it'll be that much of a change. A little bit of a step back. Maybe maybe three or four slots. Maybe maybe five slots at most.
2: I, I think the offense is going to take a bigger step back. I, the, the concern that I have with Utah on that end, I think they'll have a top five defense. Uh, you, I, I love their defensive personnel. Is love that- it. They don't really have as many of the real linchpin guys, like the straw that stirs the drink guys, and that's a big concern. And I, so I'm worried about their half court offense, and they don't really have great transition personnel, even though they have a lot of guys. Like, you're sitting there going, okay, so Ricky Rubio is great at running the break. Well, who's going to be running it with him? Well, Donovan Mitchell when he's out there. Hood if he's motivated, like maybe favors sometimes, like they'll they'll have guys. Like I, I'm worried a little bit about their offense. I'm worried more than a little bit about their offense. So I'm gonna say around twentieth, but I would be ready to be happily surprised just because they have a lot of capable people. I just need to see someone step up. I think that's
1: totally fair. So let's call them twentieth offensively. I think you guys are underselling the defense. By the way, All right, top, top, top,
0: <laughs> I probably am too. Honestly, I was being conservative.
1: Here's why they they were third last year. I don't know if San Antonio can really do it again, but let, maybe they can. Atlanta was fourth mm. who they won't be as good miami was fifth chicago was sixth. i don't think they're gonna be as good defensively chicago was sixth i forgot yeah. about wow that. memphis was seventh toronto was eighth and the pelicans were ninth
0: a lot of those teams falling off you're right that's and a good point
1: is it wasn't that close so that's the the other thing is when you look at this rank you can look at the ranking and it feels really close and obviously differential matters more than the ranking but when you look at it, Spurs were one oh one, Jazz were or Warriors were one oh one, Jazz were one oh two seven, Hawks were one oh three, then we were at one oh four by the time we got to Miami, we we're at one oh four point five by the time we got to Chicago, Memphis, and we we're at one oh five by the time we got to Toronto, New Orleans, and Oklahoma City. So I actually feel really comfortable that the Jazz are the num- top three
2: defense in the league, if not better. Yeah, Looking at it, I think, right. yeah. I think you're right. And, and also, I think you're right about that. I'm
0: super high on their defensive upside. Love it.
2: So and also, is, Atlanta's going Atlanta's defense, I think it'll be good this year, but this can going to be sabotaged by their offense a little bit. I think they'll take a step back in that way, kind of like how Orlando did most of last year.
1: And that's going to be the huge question for Utah, is, is this offense that we're also scared about going to have a negative impact on the defense. But let's assume that we got that relatively right. Here's what I think's just incredibly interesting about this division, and where stands and i hope danny i haven't derailed the conversation too far but well actually i'm not that sorry because i'm doing it so i I always love when someone does that um (laughs) so what we really just said is that minnesota is going to be a little bit above average offensively and a little bit above average defensively right and oklahoma city we said it's going to be really darn good and then denver and utah are just mirror images of each other Mm -hmm. yeah right we just both we put denver and utah because the question i keep asking is what's better utah's defense or denver's offense and what's better, Denver's defense or Utah's offense? What we just said is that they're basically the same. Mm. And what I don't know is, is that the same? Is having a better offense
2: but more important than having a better defense? If you're tied at 90, you got to score. Um, I think having a better offense is, is better partially because, and this is going to drag up some drag, uh, trigger warning for Jazz fans, I think back to the Jazz two years ago, that their late-game offense cost them a playoff berth and it can happen, you know, bad defense can do the same thing, but I always think that an inability to score late is more catastrophic than an inability to stop late.
0: And I'd agree with that, and I'd also say with Denver, late, too.
2: i got to jump in, because okay. that's okay. not true. Their late-game defense cost them. Well, their late-game defense was bad, too, but their inability to score was a problem,
1: too. Their late-game defense and the fact they were last in the league in defensive rebounding in the final five minutes a game is what cost them.
2: I'll defer to you to a point on that. All right, thank you. <laughs>
0: (laughs) I do. I
2: do think that it is easier
0: for teams like Denver, for example. They were a terrible defensive team. I think they could become they could bear down and get a stop or two if in games that they were in uh, or or even leading. But I think teams have they could they could score their scoring, was just so consistent last year. And I think it's going to be very consistent this year, quite frankly. I think with Utah, it might be a little bit more difficult for them in the fourth quarter to get a bucket, you know, last two minutes of a game to get a bucket than will be for Denver to get a stab, especially with Paul Millsap in the mix and with, you know, three of their key players all getting a year of experience under their belt.
2: Okay, so I, I think this is a good way to, to transition into the next question, which I think there are really three candidates for, which is best newcomer to his team. And I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is Butler versus George versus Millsap.
0: For me, Jimmy Butler is a great player, but we just talked about the fit. I think Paul George is such an interesting fit there that he's the he will be the more impactful player given the roster that they already have i don't i don't even know if that it's particularly close just because of how clunky jimmy butler or how little shooting there already is on the roster for minnesota
1: i'm uh, been fairly slow to paul george island i see more warts than most people do and i still think it's paul george
2: I think it's Jimmy Butler. I think Butler was a better player last year, and I think you know the counting stats are going to be a challenge for both these guys because Paul George is playing with Russell Westbrook, so I think that he'll he'll suffer some effects there, but he'll also benefit from not having the defensive burden that Jimmy Butler is going to have. I think Butler's going to be the better player this year. Whether he has a larger positive impact is going to depend on the surrounding talent. So I think you guys are right there, and Millsap is a very strong third. It's just that he's third. right? All right, I'm going out on another limb. Talk Paul Millsap. Okay, and this is hard for me
1: because I know him, and I'm a huge fan, and I've doubted him before, and he's made an ass of me. Every time I've doubted him, he is my personal San Antonio Spurs. Okay? Every single time I've wondered about him, he has just stuck it where the sun doesn't shine. Okay? so, And I admire him to the end of the earth. He is 32 years old. His effective field goal percentage the last three seasons is 52-52 and 48. I strongly believe that players who are undersized now we could debate whether he is still undersized but he has been undersized for most of his career when they slip, they don't slip they fall off the side of the cliff. Carlos Boozer there's a bunch of others I can go find for you but if you look around the league when that guy who's kind of overcome everything because he's a little undersized, he's a little this when they lose that step, it is over in a hurry Why is no one concerned about the fact that Paul Millsap has become a predominantly outside shooting four who shoots 31 percent from three who did still to his credit. And this is why I think he might be all right. Go to the line 14 percent of his possessions last year, which is just shows you how much he fights and is a great tribute to him. But if his name was not Paul Millsap and I didn't have the most endless amount of respect for who he was and what he's done as a player. And I looked at his box scores, and I looked at his career path, I'd be really concerned.
0: So I'll take this one first. I think uh, for me, there's two things with Paul Millsap. One was you can't, in my opinion, you can't discount a player of his style playing next to Dwight Howard. I think it's just such a tough thing for him to do, and it kind of exploits all of the bad traits of him in a lot of ways. And secondly, his role in Denver is going to be, I think, a little bit different, just a little bit easier, quite frankly, because Jokic really is the engine of the offense. He gets people. Good shots, and I think Millsap is going to, the, the value of Millsap to the team offensively is going to be his spot up shooting, his kind of playing the dunker spot and, and you know fighting for offensive rebound position and for setting screens. And the Nuggets need that. And that's the kind of stuff that I don't think actually drops off. You mentioned you know your big point there was the effective field goal percentage, but I just don't think they're going to ask him to create offense very uh, uh, as much as he had to in the past because the Nuggets are just so good at creating offense anyway. Defensively, you know, will he drop off is a better question, but I just don't know. Again, with the the style style of basketball that he plays I'm not sure it relies so heavily on, on a step. So I'm this is probably where we disagree most. I think it seems like we've disagreed more but I think it's been a little bit more semantics. With this one I think we actually do disagree because I think his his role is going to be so comfortable for him on the Nuggets team that he'll actually have a, something of a bounce back year.
1: You think the Paul Millsap of the 25% usage rate over the last four years is going to be willing to go under that?
0: Willing to? Yeah, I think he I think he will be willing to because he'll still get, you look at the players on the Nuggets roster like Kenneth Farid, uh, you know, even Emmanuel Moutier, when they played with Jokic, everybody kind of took a step back because everybody was touching the ball and they were touching the ball in ways that, you know, it wasn't like you were just a finisher on the roster. You got to do kind of fun stuff because uh, Jokic would set the table so I think I think Millsap's gonna have a I think he's gonna enjoy the style of play that the Nuggets are playing and whether his usages are are high or low I don't think it'll matter to him too much and
2: they're gonna win I think that's the other important part of this and yeah some of this is about the team that I cover but winning is enjoyable And it's something that these guys can be a part of. And so if you're in an engaging system and you're doing that, and and I think that David's general point on Millsap's offense is well taken. And I think we should appreciate that, that I think he's in terms of the raw fundamentals, like if you want to think about this in video game perspectives, like his offensive rating or whatever in that, those have gone down and those will go down. But I think that it matters less in the nugget system. And I think the reason they got him is actually more defense than offense. And I think his defense is going to age reasonably well because he's more about, you know, kind of like being in the right place, getting steals, getting blocks fighting like all get out on the defensive glass and you know losing a half a step losing a little bit on your vertical hurts there I'm not going to discount that because you have to acknowledge it but I think that he can still provide that value and so you're asking him to do a little bit less so it's and I think that we've seen older bigs that are smart and that work hard you know they do take a step back but they can still be productive into their early 30s so I just need a personal minute here because
1: this is such an uncomfortable conversation for me personally because I'm such really because Paul has just has my to the nth degree admiration. it sounds like I'm killing him. And <clears throat> so I just want to make sure that I back up what I'm saying statistically. And I think Adam's point about Dwight Howard might have some impact here, but just to back it up, he two years ago he took 36 percent of his shots inside three feet. last year he took 25 percent. That's usually the first sign of age, right? You know right. You're no longer working at the rim. That's a huge drop. That's that's a bigger drop than I think even you could suddenly say is Dwight Howard, but maybe because he increased his mid-range shot in that. His dunks, which are somewhat related, but again, an aging sign, went from 41 to 34 to 44 to 40 to 15 last year.
0: The big trap last year, I have to just chalk up to Dwight. I, he just He's always in that spot. He's always ducking in for post-ups. So I, I, don't, I, I don't think it was like him getting cut in half in that regard.
1: Okay, And my final one, his corner three-point shooting was brilliant, 44%. His above-the-break three-point shooting last year was 28.6%.
0: Another one I'm actually all right with. I think he'll probably be in the corner and the short corner more. That'll kind of be his spot a a lot at the time in the offense. So I think that that doesn't surprise me either with big guys. They kind of that's kind of where they begin usually in the corner and then move up to the top.
2: Well, and also sometimes the shots that you take in the corner, the reason corner shots are better is because they're almost always open. And sometimes above the break, those are like later in the clock or just kind of more in the more in the chuck range than the corners, which are usually good shots. So just to wrap up my point I'm a huge fan he's I admire him to the end of the earth
1: if his if all of this data that I just shared Was not for someone named Paul Millsap, I'd be 100% certain that this year was going to be a huge fall. Because his name is Paul Millsap and what he's done in his career, I think he'll have value to Denver.
2: It's going to be a great context test, too, because, I mean, the surrounding talent is extraordinarily different between the two. And so I'm going to, now that you mentioned it, I'm going to keep track of this throughout the year because it's so different. So it'll be a good test of kind of how all these factors fit together. Tip of the hat to Denver's
1: front office. I don't know how they got out of the third year of that contract, but it may turn. Out to be one of the most important of the offseason.
0: Also worth noting as I'm kind of looking at the numbers here. He had the highest field goal attempts per game of his career last year. Which I mean, obviously the, the higher attempts and, and lower efficiency is, is, is could probably go hand in hand. So I, I just last year I throw out a lot of the data. Quite frankly,
2: that Hawks team made me so angry. Before we move on to the rest of the Northwest Division, I want to take a little bit of time to tell you about FanDuel. FanDuel is one of the newest sponsors to Real Jam Radio, but of course they are very established in the fantasy sports community. This is actually the first year in probably about 25 that I'm not doing yearly fantasy, and it's the first time ever that I'm really trying out daily fantasy, and I put together my first lineup On Wednesday, as many of you know, the football season is right around the corner. Actually, the first regular season game was on Thursday night. I watched it right before recording this. And I'm excited to really try it out, going through lineups. The challenge of a salary-based system, so each player each week, they they assign a value to it. You're trying to build the best roster you can with the money that you've been allotted for that specific contest. It's a very different challenge than doing yearly fantasy, and I'm, I'm very excited about it. And you can do it for money, obviously you can check that out, but you can also do it for free and that's one of the ways that you can support this show and check it out. You go to FanDuel.com and then you click the Join Now button and then there's a promo code REALGM that tells them that you came from us and you can get a free contest and play for a share of $10,000 and over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. They do products all over the place, but since it's the beginning of football we're talking about football for right now. So you should definitely check it out. I'm excited about the challenge of doing it for the very first time and it's something of course that listeners of this show and all my other podcasts have have asked me about in terms of basketball and if I enjoy the experience I'll keep on going but I've been doing fantasy football forever so I thought it was a natural progression to go there so again fanduel.com then you enter the promo code real GM, which you enter after the screen where you there's a join now button. So you check that out. Tells them you came from us. Try out the great product and hopefully you enjoy it again. FanDuel.com join now real GM promo code. Oh, uh, last question. We'll do this quickly in the offseason review part. It's not a right or wrong answer. It's just the rookie you're most excited to see play this year.
0: I don't think there's a whole lot of rookies I'm interested to see. Donovan Mitchell was very fun in Summer League. I'm a little bit lower on him than I think the general public was after Summer League, but I think it's of the group. I think it's still him because I'm not sure who else I'm excited to watch.
1: I've drunk the Kool Aid, and I know a lot of people in our organization have drunk the Kool Aid on him, so why are you lower on him?
0: It's not that I'm lower on him at all. It's that I don't think he's a 35 point per game scorer that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in Summer League, it was like, okay, this guy, this guy, who, this might be the best point guard of the the entire class. I don't think he's that. I think he's going to be a very solid player that that'll have a lot of good strengths and some weaknesses.
1: I think there's a chance he scores 15 points a game.
2: Okay, David. This is my question for you just just on instinct. Do you think he is there starting? Do you think he is starting at the end of the season regularly? Well, that's only if Rodney's hurt. Okay, that was that. Yeah, because I, I don't. I've been I've been intrigued by questions. the idea of him playing at the two next to Hood, but it seems like Hood's more comfortable at shooting guard than small forward.
1: The interesting question for me actually is if Cephalosha starts to move Ingalls into a second team ball handling unit with Dante and Donovan and let taking some of the burden off them with ball handling. Right now, if you play a second unit with Cephalosha and Joe Johnson with Exum and Mitchell and your spread, those guys are great dribble drive guys, but they have a lot of ball handling skills that probably are, are pushing them, whereas you can calm things with Joe Ingles in that. that. That's one of the ones in the lineup that I think gets interesting also is Jerebko at the five there. Oh, uh, you play five out with Exum and Mitchell, two of the quickest first steps in the league going to the basket uh, with Johnson and Ingles as shooters, or Cephalosha. But I would, just for the sake oh, of ball have... So that's more to me, David. Are
2: you, are you trying to get Utah moving up my league pass rankings by telling me that there's a chance <laughs> they're going to play five out? If if Quinn just decides to, cha- to to go in on on the stuff that this team can do that's interesting, I'm so much more interested in what Utah can do. I think it'll be interest. I, I'm just. I think there's just a versatility,
1: and I don't know what Quinn does with this. Um, I,
2: I agree. I agree with you that there's a versatility. I, my assumption had been that he wasn't going to use that, but if he does, then I'm on board. I, I would think that Jarebko. I mean,
1: Jarebko. By the way, if I remember, and I'm I'm doing this off the top of my head, on this on the above the break three point shooting is actually really good, which is get that's an important thing for fives. That's where Di is right. really valuable with, D, and even fours. But Di was really valuable to when he was younger with San Antonio with that because he actually shot the above the break three better than anything else. When you can take your big guy and have him shoot the above the break three well, it causes more pressure on the defense than probably any other single skill that's out there because you really I mean you just it's very very difficult on what you're doing with rim protection and those things and Jarebko last year was 36 percent and the year prior I think was a little bit better than that
2: yeah I'm excited to see to see where they go with that and and Towns is another example I mean I, I think of Towns as being better on corner threes but his stroke is just phenomenal for a guy his size
1: We'll see. I get a little nervous on this conversation just because I am such a you know am I a homer, and if I just bought in because I need to survive the Gordon Hayward departure, and so I get a little worried on whether you're just buying into everything because it keeps you going as a fan and as a as someone. Um. <laughs> so I, 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 you're hearing some trepidation on my end. Well, it's, um, it's
2: cautious I do, optimism. I, think,
1: I do think Donovan Mitchell, and, and I'm really, really curious to what Adam said. And I don't, I'm not ignorant of the fact that you know there's some issues to me. He's two foot jumpers, not something I've always loved in this league. He seems to be predominantly a two foot jumper. It's very hard to finish in the league if you're two at the rim if you're a two foot jumper. He seems to be, you know, he's pretty small to be a shooting guard. Yes. Uh, So then I think he's really got to be a one-two, right? I mean, he's really got to be one-two unicorns, and that's difficult. So those two things are the things that I think give me some trepidation or caution on Donovan Mitchell. But I also just saw enough in his draft workout, which I was sworn to secrecy the day I saw it, and saw enough out of him in practice and saw him enough out in in summer league that I just think he's going to force his way on the floor. There have only been 10 guards in the last 10 years that have averaged 15 points a game, so I understand what I'm saying. But I think he's going to average 15 points a game, and that's really hard to do with limited minutes. So I think he's going to play a lot.
0: I, I would I would take the under on that. But I do when I say I. I, I by the way, I
2: would too in Vegas. So uh. <laughs> wait, are you saying he scored 15 points a game for the season, or like in March or something?
1: I don't know the answer to that question. It's a great- <laughs>
2: Because, like, I could see him doing it in March, you know, at the end of the year when they start to figure out all this kind of stuff. But doing it for the whole year, I mean, then he's in the rookie of the year conversation and all that kind of stuff. What I like about Mitchell is just the competitiveness in him and that he – guys who combine extreme competitiveness and really high-end physical tools – Often work out really well, especially if they're smart players. And I thought Mitchell had all of that kind of stuff. So I don't know exactly how it's going to work, but I think it will to a degree, but I don't know how he fits in with their existing personnel. Fortunately, they don't really have these serious long-term commitments. So if he's good, they can make it work.
0: Yeah. I- so my, my hesitation on him only is two things. And, and when I say hesitation, he's Phenomenal. I really like him. I just don't think he's like a top two or three point guard in this class With like some people kind of extrapolated from Summer League. The two things are, like you said, the height, his wingspan and reach make up for it a little bit, and his athleticism make up for it a little bit. But he is a bit of a tweener in a league where shooting guards just keep getting taller and taller. And then secondly, in Summer League, and this was just Summer League, he was killing guys that were not very good, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and and he would get into such a rhythm against those guys that you know his his double crossover mid range pull up game was really on point. I don't think it's going to be on point in the actual NBA, and that's and that's the one where I think. You know, I, I, where I think he kind of got overvalued. He's got plenty of other tools and great, you know, great mechanics on his catch and shoot shot and all these other things. I just think that, that one part of his game that stood out the most at summer league is actually going to be not very effective in the actual NBA.
1: The only thing I would say, the last rookie I saw that dominated the w- the way Donovan Mitchell did was Damian Lillard. Yeah. And here's the other one on Mitchell. He's old. He's not young. He, you know, he's a two year Louisville player, but he's. Uh, I'm going to look it up right now. I think he's 21 already. He turns 21 tomorrow.
2: Yeah. Happy, Happy birthday, Donovan. Donovan Mitchell. This podcast will probably come out <laughs> on your birthday.
1: I'm really bullish on him. Uh, I just, and so to your point, I don't know if I think he's a one or two, you know, like point guard in this draft, but I think he's the player that when we talk about this draft and we talk about this being one of the greatest drafts of all time in the history of the league, he's going to be the player that your closing argument.
2: Mm. I That's interesting because I don't love this draft top to bottom. I think there are going to be guys that work out, but I do think he will be somebody that helps the argument. So, Danny, he's
1: going to average him. 15 points a game for the season.
2: No, what I'm saying is the rest of the... <laughs> I, I think the forwards in this draft are pretty intensely overrated at this point. I just committed, Danny. I
1: just committed. He's it, it goes to my Charlotte Bobcat theory. Remember that Charlotte Bobcat team that was like the worst team in the history of the league in the lockout season? They were bad. They. I mean, they were awful, right? They scored 85 points a game. So even if the if the Jazz defense, offense is really, really horrendous they're still scoring 85 points
2: a game where who's scoring 85 points Joe Ingles is scoring all of them all 85 (laughs) I'm here for that just just ask him but seriously like who's scoring I I think it'll be a mix I think you know I want to see how much favors touches the ball I've liked him for a long time I'm wondering how how much he's going to have it in this very new look team I think Hood's going to score a lot
1: he's going to score 15 points a game
2: I, I'm excited to see it. Let's move on for the season preview. Basic question, but just rank these teams one to five. I always think about it in terms of regular season record, but if you want to use something different, just say what you're using.
0: I feel more confident I'm going to go regular season record, and I think it's it's probably the same for you know best to worst. I, I feel more confident about it this year than I did last year. I think Oklahoma City is the best team. I think Minnesota is the second best team, but there's probably a pretty sizable gap there. I think... Denver probably with a slight edge above Utah there, but those two I think I could flip. Um, and then I think Portland is the worst team in this division. I still think Portland's pretty darn good. I just I, I put them somewhat comfortably behind Utah and Denver.
1: For the sake of just being different, I, I agree on Oklahoma City. I'm very bullish on what they did. I think they're really, really good. You know, I just love it when teams fill places where they were bad. <laughs> you know, I think that's you know, that's that's what I really think they did this year. I'm just going to take Utah second in this. Wow. But not by a lot. And frankly, I'm really stretching them. Basically, I'm saying everything goes right, um, that they're healthy, that Mitchell's as good as I think he's going to be, The depth matters, that being the third-best defensive team or second-best defense in the team in the league matters. And honestly, I don't know those things. And that's, to me, what's so fascinating about the season. I mean, I've done the research that if you go – you do the research, by the way, on if you're a top-three defensive team – And you're 15th in the league offensively, you win 48, 49 games. So, I mean, you win 50, basically, you win 50 games. If you're 20th, you win 45. And so, I think they're, I'm pretty comfortable this is going to be a top three defensive team in the league. Their defensive rating when favors and Gobert were on the floor was a 96.5 last year. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much they'll do that this year, but it's, It's a possibility. And if they if and if it if they can find a way to score with it, you know, if Rubio can do something that finds those guys good looks and they can score well enough, which they did last year when they were on the floor. Then I actually think they're pretty good. Um, And I just think that uh, Minnesota has a spacing issue that's going to be harder for them. And the jump we're asking them, you know, I would I would. Ask someone to go do the research on teams uh, that go from 26th in the league defensively to top 10. And I would guess it's happened maybe three times in the history of the league. I think what we're asking them to do is probably close to unprecedented. I might be wrong on that, but just my, my instinct on that is that that is a huge, huge jump and and then I, I i think denver minnesota utah are all really the same and so i'm just saying i think things go right for utah and they've got three or four upside plays favors gets healthy mitchell is good axum gets better you know they're then they're a little better than you think they are and they're great defensively they have three of the top 10 guys in steals percentage i don't know if that matters and they're deep you know they're really deep so i long, long way to go i'm not sure entirely what i whether i believe in inti- what i just said but just for the sake of the discussion <laughs> I think, it's, I think that, you know, so Utah's 20th in the league offensively and 3rd in the league defensively, and Denver's 5th in the league offensively and 20th in the league defensively. That's maybe one game better. I will point this out. Utah got screwed on the schedule in a manner that actually impacts your, roster, your record. One, they're playing 16 back-to-backs, which is the most of any team in the league. Two of the teams, they only play three times. It is the Lakers, Dallas, Sacramento, and Memphis. Oof. Oof. so that probably cost them a game or two right so that's that may be the difference between being 47 and 44 and being the difference between 47 and 44 puts you at the bottom of this list um i kind of believe in terry stotts too in portland by the way i I actually danny you opened this podcast up and i give you great credit you you're more attuned to what's going on in portland the loss of alan crabb is much more significant particularly because evan turner has to play those minutes um so they're doing the opposite but I just thought the script last year in Portland was really bad. They were the golden team, and they had this great run, and every you know, they beat the Clippers, and everybody was so happy, and they were all happy about themselves. It just was a script to do exactly
2: not defend.
1: And I just think they'll be better this year because now they, they just come with a different mindset.
2: Well, and I mean, if they're even close to as good as they were just in those 20 games with Nurkic... They're an unquestioned playoff team. I mean, like that—that's the part of this that's hard to—it's hard to know. But yeah, this division is wild because you can make arguments for why all of these teams could be much better than their expectations, and I think you can make arguments they could be a little bit worse too. So my five would be OKC at one. I just think their defense is going to be enough, and their offense is better than a team like the Jazz. So I think they'll be—I'll think they'll be one. I have Minnesota second. I'm not as high on them as some people are. Like, I think that they're less than the sum of their parts, but their parts, the sum of their parts is still really, really good. So I think they'll be strong. Then I have Denver third. It's, again, it's expected value. I, I think that you can make any argument for me that these bottom four teams, like, I, you could you could convince me of any order, but I think that this is the most likely one. Minnesota third. Then I have a coin flip between the Jazz and the Blazers, just because it's about whether the Blazers can fulfill their promise. And if they get, I think they can get sidetracked by an injury more severely than any of the rest of these teams. So I'll go Utah four, Portland five, just because I think defense travels.
0: One other thing about Portland's here is I think they're pretty vulnerable to injuries. I mean, we talked about Lillard and McCollum. If either of those guys go down, their backcourt takes a huge drop off. Nurkic has been hurt all three seasons that he's played in the NBA. He's had some kind of of major uh, recovery period. And, you know, even guys like Aminu...
2: Moharkless is their only perimeter defender. Like, if we're yeah, counting Aminu as a four.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, they they have, like, most teams have one or two guys. Like, you know, if Jokic gets hurt, of course, all bets are off with the Nuggets. But I think that Portland has, like, four of those guys that they really get worse if those guys get hurt. Yeah.
2: Okay, so the the next question is a, a fun one, one that I think we're going to all be struggling with, which is, how many teams from this division make the playoffs? four isn't
0: it yeah i think it's four and yeah. i'm pretty confident of the four too
2: well so i i think it's i think four is the most likely then we can go and and i mean i think one team is going to fall off we just don't know who it's going to be you know due to injuries or just bad luck or whatever happens but so then my question is is it more likely that it's five or that it's three
0: i would say oof, that's a tough one i, I would i would probably say three there are so the, Denver's another team. I think Utah, Denver is, are, are two teams that I would not be shocked if they went the other direction and just had a, a really disappointing year. I don't think it'll happen, but I wouldn't be shocked. Who are you two there? Utah and Denver. Well, and uh, in addition to Portland, who I already am counting out.
1: Give me the scenario where Denver has this year uh, disappointing year.
0: Well, we we didn't really talk about it a lot, but I think there's a lot of flags. I think they're going to work out. But who's the starting point guard for Denver? It might be Jamal Murray, who to this day has played six games of point guard. Not just started, just played that position for six games. He'll probably be the starter. Uh, Emmanuel Moody, I think they still have hope in, and they've wasted a lot of games trying to see if he was their guy. If he's a backup, that means he's not playing minutes with Jokic. He was horrible last year um, when not with Jokic. He was pretty good with Jokic. Uh, Wilson Chandler is a guy that plays about 60 games a year on average. Who's the backup small forward for the roster? It's probably Wancho Hernan Gomez, who I love, but you know he's still an unknown by and large, so they still have some question marks that could go wrong. I don't think they will, and if they do, I think Denver can overcome them. But we just don't. Th- those are the reasons that Denver would miss out on the playoffs.
1: I, I have a. I I really like this guy, but I'm just having fun. Why is Mike Malone known as a good defensive coach? <laughs> <laughs> because
2: Look, of his a, involvement in the Warriors. That's really what it is.
1: Well, because that's why he was
0: hired in Sacramento, right? It was it was he was kind of credited in large part because of with the Warriors' great defense. But it's true, and it's something we in Denver kind of talk about. And unlocked on Lockdown Nuggets, I've, I've talked about it a lot. I don't think it's fair one way or another to say because Sacramento did not have good defensive pieces, and Denver has not had good defensive pieces. But it is alarming that Denver has gotten worse in the two years um, defensively, and and it's it's concerning the degree. You know, Denver scored almost every single time down the court last year. They would have a hundred and thirty, hundred and forty point games, and they'd still give up all these baskets. So. I think it's it's not just that they're bad; it's the degree to which they are bad on, on the defensive end. And then some of the choices, which I've talked about on the podcast as well, they play a, they they're really conservative with Jogic. I think he needs to challenge him more. But I think it's a very very fair question, and this is going to be a very big year for that reputation to see if it it sticks.
1: It's interesting. We all just kind of assuming that Denver's. We basically said Denver's going to be twentieth defensively, which might like we're assuming that might be generous. I mean, it might not be, but right. We're assuming they're getting. We're, we're basically saying they're getting better defensively, right? They were 29th last year. Like we're at, we're we've just <laughs> naturally assumed that Denver's making a 20 po- a nine point jump. In standings defensively, which is the equivalent of being like four or five points per hundred possessions better.
0: One of the thing, reasons Denver's defense was so bad last year was Emmanuel Moutier. I, he's not the sole reason. It was the entire backcourt I thought had a hard time containing dribble penetration, but Moutier was the worst offender and it bore out in the statistics as well every time he was on the court. The, the Nuggets invested two years with him and really didn't pull the plug on him till January or February last year. They're not going to do that this year, I don't think. I think he's going to be much more of a limited player, and I think that alone. Uh, as well as you're talking about three players, Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, that all should just get better defensively by virtue of experience. So I don't think it's that crazy to see them making that kind of a leap.
2: So I think the the idea of how Denver doesn't make the playoffs is or has a disappointing year is just that their defense doesn't rebound all the way. I mean, and and offensively, maybe being top five was a little bit of an aberration. So if they go from like if they stay in the bottom ten on defense and they end up somewhere between five and fifteen offensively, you know, that's not a playoff team in all likelihood. So maybe that's the way that it happens. But you can do the last question. Let me jump in.
1: Of course. Have we established here that Utah has less question marks than anyone? Like we know who they are. They can't score. They're great defensively. We know exactly who they are.
0: Their big question is off is just can they score, and that's such a big question. It doesn't. Uh, it it counts as more than just one question, I think, okay. b- because it's so all encompassing.
2: Well, and like, how are they gonna? How are they gonna run the rotations? Like, what is the thesis of this team other than their defense? And because it's such a sea change to not have Gordon Hayward anymore and to change your point guard. I mean, going from. George Hill and and the question marks they had before George Hill to Ricky Rubio is a big difference. And the strengths and weaknesses. And I mean, Ricky Rubio is one hell of a basketball player, but a Ricky Rubio team is very different from a lot of the other things they've tried. I I just think it's, I I love this division. Oh, it's it's going to be be so much fun. So So much much stuff here that's interesting. Yeah. So, last question is it can be any level of success, but it's what players do you think are going to break out? Well, Donovan Mitchell's averaging 15 points.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there. I love it. I'll go with I, I there's two guys that I think could you know for the two nuggets I don't know if you could say Jokic breaks out. It it's weird to me how much people are still slow to kind of uh, embrace this guy. So I think he's going to his numbers have been so consistent based on minutes and I think he's going to play 33 34 minutes this year and 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 the numbers will be off the charts. Jamal Murray's another nuggets player that I think will um will have a a really nice year, but I'll go with Ricky Rubio because again I'm so curious to see him outside of Minnesota. I think he's a really good player, and I think that he's going to orchestrate that offense You know, slightly better than, than people think. Because I think a lot of people think they're going to be this team that can't score 70 points a night. I think, I, I think he's going to have a good year.
2: Breakout player. If you want to think about it, I have a couple. Go One is Patrick Patterson. I think Patterson was really underutilized in Toronto, that he was actually their best power forward. Maybe not when, once they got a Baca, but you know, he, I think he was a part of their best lineups for a reason. And it wasn't just because that was a lot of Lowry plus bench against backup lineups. He'll do well. I'm a big Jamal Murray believer and. At some point, I'm going to stop stumping for Ronnie Hood, but that point is not yet. That point might be later this year. (laughs) And I I picked him to win most improved player last year. He didn't do that. I think he'll be better this year, and he's just going to have more opportunities because, as David pointed out, somebody's going to have to score those points. I think Hood can capably do that. So I think those are the three guys. And one thing that I'm excited about is that I feel like some bench player on one of these teams is really going to have a star turn, but I have absolutely no idea who it is because there are just kind of a lot of guys that intrigue me. And so just whoever whoever breaks out, I don't think it's going to be on Minnesota just because I don't like their bench guys at all. Maybe Tyus Jones, who actually I do like, but I think it's going to be somebody. And these teams also, I mean, we we, we all three picked that four teams in this division are going to make the playoffs. There are going to be players that get a higher profile because of that.
1: So the breakout player that you're kind of described right there is Alex Abrinas.
2: Yeah, Abrinas could be that guy, certainly.
1: Playing off George and Westbrook and just a great shooter and knows the league his second year and he's mature because of his European experience. My personal hope, having no backing at this at all, would be Derek Favors, only because I've been with him for every step of his career, and it would be a really cool story if he could kind of bounce back as the after being kind of the forgotten guy who then in Game 7 you know, really was vital to the Jazz beating the Clippers and kind of showed what he can do and get and hedges on the pick and roll as well as any big guy in the league when he's healthy. He's interesting because this healthiest point of, of his season was the final game of the season. And so he was able to go in through this offseason healthy, which he did not have at any point in the season. And so if he's able to come back and play, then that's then, you know, he's a former number three pick with elite athleticism. I don't know that that is a reasonable expectation, but I I guess I would go Alex Sabrinas. I don't feel like we're going to see anything out of that cadre of Portland kind of mid-range players, as though they're going to make any jump in that regard. I'm I'm a huge Jamal Murray fan out of that draft. He was like the only player in that draft I liked. But I'm not sure I like him as a point guard, frankly. So I, I'm a little concerned on how he's going to be used this year, but he would be another one I would put on my list.
2: Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a fun year, and if these teams are as good as we think they are, there are going to be guys that break out. But uh, anything else you feel like we need to talk about as a part of this?
0: Juancho Hernan Gomez, I don't think he's going to have a, a, a breakout year, but listening to this, he's a guy that I could see, especially if Wilson Chandler struggles. Now, I think Denver... You, or if Wilson Chandler gets hurt. Now, I think Denver, if they're relying on him too hard, is going to not have a great year. But he's a guy that I, I wrote about him today. I think he's uh, he could be like Gary Harris for the forward spot. He just stays in his lane, shoots the ball, lights out, cuts really well. Um, but he might be a year away from having a breakout year. But I also like the Derek Favors pick. I think I might change mine to Derek
2: Favors. Who's the best coach in the conference and the division? Stoddson.
0: Yeah, Stats. I'll go Stats.
2: I mean, oh, this is actually... So this is one small thing I wanted to talk about. I think this is a great year for reputation tests in this division. So can Thibodeau, can he burnish his rep as being a defensive whiz... Andrew Wiggins, I think, has been overhyped to a degree, but can he earn the respect? Rodney Hood's the same type of thing, and I think Tibbs is in that note, you know, it's like, and Paul George, you know, like, so a lot of these guys that were in faces either in new places or in new situations that have to earn their rep, and I'm excited to see how that works.
1: This division might be the litmus test to whether or not storylines can emerge when the league has two, a dominant power, right? So, yeah. We we're not for one second to believe any of these teams can beat the Warriors. Right. In Of themselves, they're fascinating. Is that enough for the? Is it? You know, this gets into the whole: is it good or bad for the league to have the Warriors? It's fine if the if these storylines are interesting to people beyond the three of us. But if because they have no chance to beat the Warriors, these storylines don't ever emerge or don't take shape, then that's the issue. I think
0: what's actually so interesting about the league and how it how it's run right now is. I think casual fans are very interested in this Warriors team, and and that's why the league is going to be so popular and finals ratings or whatever are going to be through the roof. And I think the diehard Nuggets fans are so interested in the other, all the other parts of it, the process of building a roster. And there's a lot of teams in a very interesting part of the roster. So I think it's, in a weird way, it might work out for both, even though in an ideal world you'd like to have, you know, a little bit more parity and the interest. But I think uh, everybody asks me about the Warriors. All my casual friends, that's, who they, that's the only team they ask me about. Uh, so I, I I think it's going to be a weird mix. I,
2: I think that there's a lot of self-segregation that happens. I mean, the people who want to be interested in the whole league are going to have more than enough material. But the people who are interested in the top teams, not only because of the Warriors, but the teams that are competing against them had so much turnover that I think people are going to be interested in that earlier than they usually are. And then, of course, once Christmas hits and everything else, you know, like the Rockets, the Rockets are going to be fascinating because none of us have any idea what the, how that's going to work because it hasn't yeah. ever really ever happened before. Celtics changed over more than a team that won a conference has in a long time and is still good. I mean, there have been teams that have won a conference and then fallen off. And then Cleveland, you know, they're incorporating Isaiah, they're incorporating Jay Crowder, And who knows, maybe they're going to make more moves before the season or during the season. So I think that the people who are only interested in in the stars and the the mega teams, they're going to have enough. And then the people like us who are really into everybody and into the the kind of the middle tier, this is the most interesting the middle tier in the NBA has been in the entire time I've covered it.
1: Agreed. Agreed twice. (laughs) Well,
2: that's a nice way to end it. Thank you guys both so much for taking the time. All right. It was worth the time, I guess. (laughs)
0: Thanks so much, Danny. Always fun talking to you guys.
2: Thanks so much to David and Adam for coming on. You can listen to David Locke whenever you listen to the Utah Jazz on the radio. You can listen to him on Locked On Jazz, Locked On NBA, and as the godfather of the Locked On Podcast Network. And you can follow him on Twitter at Locked On Sports, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-S-P-O-R-T-S. You can read Adam at Denver Stiffs. He also contributes advice and at Nylon Calculus. And you can follow him on Twitter at Adam. Adam underscore modis, A-D-A-M underscore M-A-R-E-S. Big fans of both of them. As you know, there's a reason I I consistently ask them on the podcast. And of course, I've had a relationship with David for a while. And oh, if, if I didn't mention it, Adam, you can also listen to him on Lockdown Nuggets. He does great work there. I don't know. I'll probably be on from time to time. I love watching the Nuggets and talking about them. And the Northwest is just such a fascinating division to me. I mean, we're, we're talking about how many teams are going to make the playoffs and you're incredibly Wondering if there's a possibility that they get five in in a stacked Western Conference, you know you're dealing with something really special. And the possibility that I've been running around in my head is the idea that I don't think this is going to happen, but they get all five teams in, but none of the five have have the top three seeds. So basically that they occupy the entirety of four through eight It's a possibility, not a likely thing, but I I found it interesting all the same. And a lot of teams with different strengths and weaknesses, which is, I think, what David was getting into when we were getting into the meat and potatoes of this, of just how different these teams are, but they should be very successful in their own ways. Now that I'm back from vacation, Real Jam Radio is going strong. Probably actually going to have two episodes next week, one division episode, and then one that will be familiar and time-wise to, for those of you who know Real Jam Radio, something that... I generally do around this time, but also, as you know, I do not say what my episodes are until it's actually recorded. So you can get an idea, for those of you who know it, if you if you want to get excited about it. It is scheduled at this point. So looking forward to both of those, and then whenever I have the chance, I'm going to have Arturo Galetti on, and we're going to do over-unders, but we're just kind of trying to figure that out as Time permits and everything else. Um, as as some of you know, he's based in Puerto Rico, and Hurricane Irma coming down on him meant that we had to change the schedule. That was actually going to be the main podcast for this week, and fortunately, David and Adam were game to make sure that this happened, so I could give Arturo all of the time that he needed and of course best wishes not only to the, the great people in Puerto Rico but everywhere really in the Caribbean, both the places that have already been hit and South Florida and what looks like it's going to come for parts of the southeast of this country. So my best wishes to all of to all of those people, both who listen and and who don't. And lots of fun coming for Real Jam Radio, so much to to cover between now and the start of the season and of course when the actual games start, then there's a whole whole bunch else going to try to do a fair amount of draft stuff, as you guys know. And if you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, you can leave a review in the podcast player of your choice. You can subscribe, download every episode. As I said, don't have a regular, regular format with this show. So that's a great way to do it because you never know when it's going to come out. So if you subscribe, then you'll see it pop into your podcast player. Whenever that happens, you can also spread the word either on the internet or through direct word of mouth. It's a great thing to do. Dunked on, of course, gets plenty of attention, but real jam radio, sometimes people don't, I I get people even now they're like, Oh, you do your own podcast. So I mean, real jam radio existed before dunked on, but it's its own thing. And I hope you enjoy it for what it is. The other huge thing you can do is you can check out our our sponsors for this episode. That's Bombfell. Great clothing company. I've been super impressed with their, both their service and then the quality that they gave out. Got three things that I'm really, really happy with dot realgm slash real B O M B F E L L. And you get $25 off your first purchase. So not only do you tell them you came from us, but you actually get some money and FanDuel. So you go to Fan if you want to try out Daily Fantasy right now football's the big deal. Go to fanduel.com, click the join now button, tell me came from Real GM that's our promo code and you can get into a contest for up to $10,000. I'm doing a couple of free ones this week and if I like it and I'm thinking I will, then I'll put start putting some money where my mouth is and excited about that whole process. And then, of course, if you have feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com, at LaRue on Twitter a little bit, but email's better because then I actually see it Twitter, you know, sometimes things get lost in the shuffle, but if you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I don't promise a response. I'm a busy guy, but I do promise to read it because that's that's absolutely, not only is it the least I can do, but I feel like it's worthy of you being interested enough to reach out. And oftentimes it's very positive, but if it's constructive, that's welcome, encouraged as well. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
3: If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited World Class Treatment Center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.